words to say. Uh, thank you so much. Well, I also want to um, welcome anyone spot. So we encourage you, if you could go back to the Light It Up Information Center, we have like a little gift for you and just some information about us as a church so that you can learn about us a little bit more. You know, some people like to, you know, website creep, and that's how you find out about us, and that's good. Uh, we, I take care of that too, but um, I'm not trying to gloat here. I'm just saying that's my job. And, uh, but I also know that sometimes just a connection with a person um, is more valuable than a website could ever be, okay? So if that's you, don't be, don't be shy. Go back there, and there's some people that are um, going to give you some gift and just uh, share more that you have any questions um, as well. They can answer that too. All right. So like Pastor uh, Bob said, actually, it was funny because I wasn't on this rotation, but I had to switch rotations with Pastor Ray um, so that we could uh, kind of handle vacation and time off and all that stuff together. So it worked out mutually because he's not here today. But um, it's my joy today to get to share the Word of God with you guys. Super excited. Um, you know, the more we've dived into this book of Colossians, it's just blown my mind how awesome it is with Paul's intention here. Because we, we did Ephesians. Remember Ephesians? Right, where we talked about how this was a, a letter written more generally right, to the, to the body of Christ because Paul wanted it to circulate. And, uh, and so it really you know, just stayed on the truths more, even though there was a lot of great instruction in, in how to walk this out. Colossians is really coming at something that's a very dangerous issue in the church, even now, and we'll get into that today. And so I'm excited about Colossians because of that reason, because it's such a powerful book at a timely manner. It, really, at any generation of the church, there's always been this this attack on the church and the, the core message of the church. So we're going to get into it today. So like I said, I, today I have the honor of studying the Word of God with you today. Um, and last week, Pastor Bob, actually the last couple of weeks, Pastor Bob did a phenomenal job finishing up the first chapter of Colossians with us, right? He, and, and the really cool thing is he was challenging us through what Paul was saying, you know, to know the true gospel, right? That Jesus is the supreme point of the gospel, right? And that we're to proclaim the gospel last week, right? He says we teach and admonish this so we can be mature. And so the challenge was us for us to don't just hold on to the truth, but let's proclaim it. Just like Paul challenged the Colossians and the Laodiceans in the, in the book. And so today we're going to continue on this chapter 2 of, of Colossians together. And we're going to continue to understand the power of the true gospel better. And we're going to also kind of receive a, a little bit of a new challenge from Paul this week. Okay. Because he's going into, he's making this case, and he's going deeper and deeper into the, into the rabbit hole as we speak, as so we would say. And, and so now he's going to challenge us a little bit differently this week. But first, let's read the text before we get into all the, 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 the breakdown of it. So in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he says this, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of this world, rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature 
dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Amen, right? Whew, I almost don't have to preach anything here. It's so, it's so laid out so powerfully, right? So there's a lot of good stuff to get into here. We're going to unpack some of it. Um, again, it's one of those things we've said before. We're kind of hitting treetops because we're trying to, you know, stay, you know, kind of making uh, progress through the book of Colossians. But, oh my goodness, we could deep dive into this week. You know, it could be a year of just diving into some of the truths that are all in this little book. But before we start, let's pray, okay? I don't want to go too far here uh, without remembering to pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, into 2022, the body of Christ now. Lord, we come before you this morning wanting to know the full understanding of your truth, of the word of God. Lord, that we would understand who you are in our lives. Jesus, you are the central focus. And Lord, we pray that as we study your word today, Holy Spirit, would you open up our minds and our eyes to see the areas of our lives that we have to tweak and change and, and abandon because they don't line up to your word? Lord, I pray for anyone in here that, that is curious about you and, and wondering or just starting to tippy-toe into this faith, Lord, that they would be uh, captivated by your love and your truth today, that they would be changed from the inside out, Lord, to, to follow you with everything they've got. Lord, would you illuminate the word today in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, thank you for praying with me. Okay, so today I wanted to break down the key elements of this passage because there's so much good stuff in here that we read. So get, re get ready to hear the word key a lot, okay? I just, you know, it became the word that I'm just like using to tie all these different areas that he, he covers together. So just like I have this set of keys, and I even brought visual, right? I'm a visual person, and I think sometimes we can kind of remember these things when we see them. So I have these keys here. Just like I have these keys here, there are specific keys in this passage that will unlock for us how to grow into maturity in Christ, right? These things unlock, right? So, you know, forgive my bad dad joke kind of stuff. It's starting to happen where in my 40s I'm starting to want to tie everything with words and puns. But God wants to unlock his truth. And, and there's only a way, a certain way it can happen with a key, right? So we talked about last week how the, the maturity in Christ was the goal. And so how does that happen? See, a key is a very specific tool, right? If we think about it, it's a tool just like a hammer or a set of pliers, or, or a drill, or a saw, right? But there's something very different about this, key, this tool. It's so specific, right? A key, a door that's locked will only allow someone in who has the exact tool made for that door, right? For that lock, right? I could take a hammer and beat up a lot of things and, and pound things into the wall, but I can't just take a key and make any key work in a door, right? How many guys have like, you know, a billion keys, and you're, you're fumbling through your keys, and you're they look the same, so you're going, nope, not that one, not that one, not that one, right? So that's what's going on here. There's a, a faith that's, that's being started in the book of Colossians, right, the, 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 the early church. And, and, and Paul's trying to address, hey, there's a certain key here. There's a specific truth that you have to hold on to to make it as a Christian. So these keys that we're going to talk about today, they open the door to maturity in Christ. Let's focus on the key elements of today's passage. The first key that I want to talk about is key motivation, right? What's the key motivation that Paul is writing this letter? It's important to know why he's being motivated, right? He's not just trying to win an argument. He's not just trying to prove something. He, set, he sets apart a motivation why he's doing it. 
So the first thing I notice here is that Paul cares for the believers he's never met. Let's go to verse 1. He says, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. He says here he wants them to understand how greatly he's contending for or fighting for them in the faith, right? There's love that, that's, that's, like he's stuck in prison. He could be worried about his own problems, right? I got my issues, man. I did this preaching the gospel thing and I'm locked up for it. But no, he is still struggling for them. He's contending for them where he's locked up. So he's, he wants them to be um, spiritually grow and he wants them to, to, to make it. So in, 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 in contending and fighting for them, he's both spiritually praying for them, right? And he's practically wanting to fight for them by writing to them the truth. That's the only way he can do it. He's locked up. He can't go see them. And it's a spiritual war, so he's writing to them the truth. And then he shares his primary motive for why he's writing to these churches. He says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding. Isn't that cool how God, again, talks about his riches and the treasures of who he is? It's understanding. It's awakening to the true faith that we have. And it says, and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So in the first part, he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged. What are they encouraged to do, right? When you encourage someone, think about the word courage. It's so that you have bravery, right? You have a fight in you that steps up in the midst of a battle, in the midst of something that makes you want to shy away. And he's saying, I want their hearts to be encouraged. Why? Because they're being persecuted. Because they're being, you know, ostracized by their families. They're being, you know, persecuted in their business, right? They're, they're being left out of their culture simply because of their, their faith. They're being challenged by, by false Christians, by Jewish people that are just trying to inflict, inflict on them their, their old way of thinking, right? They're, they're dealing with all these other pagan religions. So he's, I want their hearts to be encouraged. He wants them to be comforted in the truth of who Jesus is. And then get the next part, to be joined together in love. Paul warns them to be, wants them, sorry, to be unified as a community of believers, right? Not just torn apart by pointless debates, right? The church can descend into, well, I believe this exactly, and then, well, I'm in this camp, you know, and, and you got to do it this way. And, and so there's, there's this dissension that's always tried to come in and destroy the church and, and has in some ways. Not the global church, but many small churches or churches around the world have gotten pulled apart. Because of pointless debates. And he's saying, I want them to be unified, together in love, joined together, knit together, one of the versions say. Knit together, closely. Why? So that they may have all the riches of complete understanding. So that you can become fully aware of the riches that you receive when you get the understanding of the gospel. Remember when I did Ephesians and we had that treasure box? And, and it's like, that treasure is right there. But unless you stick the key in, you unlock it, and you open it up, you'll never know the riches of being a Christian, of knowing Christ. I know a lot of people that are so close to the, the core, but they don't get it, right? The enemy's bringing in all these lies, all this deception, and he keeps you from the true transformation that God set out for us to have. So this is Paul's motive, right? That they would have the riches of complete understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. Looking back at last week's message in verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 28 through 29, Paul states his goal, that his goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Let's look at it real quick. 
It says, we proclaim him. So he's talking about all the disciples, the apostles, right? And the, and the believers that are pro, pro, uh, making the proclamation to them. He says, we proclaim him. Not just a, a truth. We proclaim him, Jesus. It's more than just a truth. It's a person, the Son of God, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's his goal. And if you think about that, think about the reverse. Why would he be so endeavoring to present everyone mature in Christ unless you can grow up and not be mature in Christ? Think about that. The, the admonition is that he's saying we're warning and teaching everyone, hey, don't just come to Christ and then never mature. Come to Christ and get it. Lock it in your heart. Don't abandon the faith 15, 20 years from now. Don't abandon the faith when you have a crisis or a tragedy. But stay committed. Be mature in Christ. Don't just stay on your, you know, self-made rules and regulations of your own life or your self-made exceptions to the rule and excuses, right? It's a challenge to me when I read that. All of us are to be mature in Christ. That's his passion. Paul also expounds on this goal, right, to Timothy when he wrote in, to him in his letter, he says in 1 Timothy 1, 5 and 6, he says, Now the goal of our instruction is love. That comes from a pure heart, right? Not with, not with uh, deceitful intentions, right? Pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. It says, Some have departed from these things and have turned aside to fruitless discussion. Think about that. So some people start with the right foundation of Jesus. But then over time, they get focused on their little problem, their little issue with someone else. They're wanting to have their pleasure, right? We all have to battle that. And so Paul's saying this is the goal, not to, not to make it hard on you, to actually the love of God is our, our passion. This is our goal of our instruction, is that love comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith for every believer. That none of us would be depart from these things and turn aside to fruitless discussions. It's powerful motivation, right? He want, God wants us to know him and to, come, to be so changed by him that we don't just have a bunch of book knowledge and a lot of truth that we can spit at people, but we are actually walking around in love with a pure heart, with a good conscience, with sincere faith. That's a battle. Now Paul switches over in the next verse to um, a key truth. Let's talk about this key truth that Paul keeps focusing on. It's the, it's the main theme of Colossians we've talked about, the supremacy of Christ. And he says this in verse 2, and, having, and have the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, see, this word mystery is powerful. It's not a mystery the way we think of the word, right? We think of the word probably like a true crime mystery, right? Like nobody knows what happened. There's not enough evidence, right? It's too secretive. It's too hard to know, right? We think of a mystery as like, oh, man, it's unsolvable. That's not the, what the word means here, right? Jesus made himself fully transparent and knowable. Let's get that clear. Jesus isn't a mystery in the sense that we don't know where he's really, his intentions are. Jesus says, look at me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Everyone who knows me knows the Father. Like, the, what I do before you, that's who you're going to be. Like, he was super clear, right? His intentions were super clear. His nature was super clear, right? We can think of Jesus and we know he was humble, he was kind, he was bold, he was willing to heal on the Sabbath, he was willing to challenge the, the establishment that was full of themselves, right? He wasn't a coward. He went on the cross, and at the end of his life, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That means full forgiveness at the very end to his own murderers. 
Jesus made himself fully transparent and fully knowable. And so there's no mystery in who he is. What Paul says here is, it, it's, it's something different. It says, the Greek word, it's up there, it says it's mysterion. Which means a secret that you now know. It's a secret that, was, that God held on to. It wouldn't be known unless God revealed it. Jesus completes the story of the Old Testament. That's the kind of mystery we're talking about. A secret that God knew. The, the Jewish people, he, he put all those things in place in, in Moses and during, with Moses during the, you know, the, the sorry, the, uh, the New Testament and all the law being written out and all the, the ways that they were supposed to worship and offer worship. Those were all precluding who Christ was. He was the full manifestation, the secret revealed. And they knew someone was coming. And then when he finally showed up, they totally missed it because they didn't, it was still a secret to them. They didn't know in fact, he walked around, right, secretly until he was ready to be presented. And so when Jesus is revealed as the secret, the, 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 this amazing secret God kept for so long, and now he's saying, it's revealed to you guys. He was the mystery. He was the secret that everything is under Christ. Nothing else matters more in the gospel than Jesus Christ, right? Right? All right. Take with me. Okay. <laughs> So, and here's a point that I want to make. He's not just the solution. He's not just the solution to the sin problem. He is that. But he was so much more. He was the example of God's nature, his heart. He was loving. He was giving. He, he chose the lowly, right? He didn't just sit at the, the high seat of honor and placate to the people that were at the top. He went to the lowest of low. He went to those that people wrote off in society. That's, he's more than just the, he could have showed up and said, hey guys, I'm here to take on the sin of the world. I claim I'm the Messiah. Stick me on the cross. I'm done. No, he spent years, his whole life here, and he spent three years teaching his disciples and being with the people and teaching them because he's more than just the solution to the sin. He also embodies the full nature of God. He reflects the glory and the heart of God. So there's so much, if you think about it like that, there's so much in the parables and, and just, I'm sorry, the gospels. Of course, the parables of his teachings, but all of the gospels of his example. And we can feed off of that truth our whole life. We can become like Christ in our intentions, our nature, the way we deal with any situation, right? Because here's what it says in verse 3. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. Paul makes this bold statement that Jesus is the only one that, that are, that only in him do we have the quest for our knowledge and wisdom that we have. All of us have a quest, right, to figure out life. Some more than others, you know, some are like, you know, they, they've got to know. And some people just kind of live life. But we all have this search in us. It says, what's wisdom? What's truth? And he's saying Jesus is the wisdom and truth. It's all hidden in him. You can't just add him on to some other sort of wisdom and truth. He's it. It's through his sacrifice and through his teaching and his example of the way he lived, that's how we're to live, right? That's the true treasure of wisdom and knowledge. We can get it from looking at him and, and staring into what he's done. What treasures can we find in Jesus? Let me rattle off a few. There's a lot more, but I have a, not a lot of time. So the real purpose for our lives now and for eternity is in Jesus. Think about that. All forgiveness from our sinful nature is only in Jesus. That treasure only comes from him. Righteousness before God through his sacrifice on the cross is only through Jesus, right? Transformation into who we are every day, who we become and who we become in eternity, 
is through our faith and our relationship with Jesus. That's a treasure. Let me get real practical. How to lead and serve others in your job or at your home or wherever you are. We serve the way Jesus did. That's a treasure that he showed us. How to serve. How to love others with unconditional love. We see that treasure in Jesus. He proved it. He just, he didn't walk around like ticked off at everybody and getting annoyed with everyone like not walking in truth, right? And he got mad, but it was only when he realized there was a lot of pride in hurting the, the everyday person, right? From the Pharisees. But even them, he loved them. And so he didn't walk around, you know, not showing unconditional love. So, you know, practice what I preach, but not what I do. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He embodied that, that attitude of unconditional love, which can be tough sometimes, right? Tough love. He spoke the truth in love. How to pray and speak to God the Father. That comes through Jesus. He warned us, don't just babble on and on like the pagans do. Pray like this. And when you see the examples in John where he's praying to the Father, you see the relationship he has, the love that he has for the Father, the, the, the closeness that he has. And he goes, I'm praying this so that they can hear, my disciples can hear us. Isn't that powerful? How to pray and speak to God is a treasure from Jesus. And physical healing is from Jesus. He proved it. He, he lived it. He walked into towns and, and transformed the town. He'd speak and it was done. And he says, greater things are you going to do in my name. But are, you, are we in Jesus? Are we doing it for him? Are we doing it fully in him the way he does it? So let me just say again, Jesus is the key to true life. He's the key. He's that specific tool that unlocks wisdom and truth in our lives. And we cannot add anything to it. We can't take away anything. We can't say, well, yeah, Jesus, that was a tough one, man. That was a rough, that was a hard statement to live by. So I'm just going to take the key. Yeah. I'm going to try this other key that is a little easier. Oh, it won't work. Right? He's the key to true life. We can't try to put on other religions, other philosophies that take us away from Jesus. Paul is stressing here that Jesus is the only way, pun here, to unlock the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's talk about the next key. So Paul now shifts in verse 4. He says there's a key battle. There's a key battle. There's a warning that Paul starts to give now. He says, I am saying this. Why is he talking about how Jesus is hidden in Christ? Everything's hidden in Christ. And, and Jesus is the, the, the full, you know, key here. It's, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Right? I'm not talking about stuff that if someone say, hey, I saw a UFO outside and they were purple and they've got all this like tentacles and stuff. I'm just making stuff up. You'd be like, what? That is ridiculous. Maybe you go say, I got to go see for myself. But most of us would say, that's just silly. No, he's talking about things that, he's not saying things that would be crazy and ludicrous to the Christian faith. He's saying, let me warn you about some things that sound reasonable, right? They, they make sense. Oh, that sounds really good, you know? I mean, stuff that's out there in the world, like the secret, you know, or the Jabez prayer, right? And they, they focus on things that are maybe a little too focused on benefit and self-centeredness than they are on Christ and living for him. So things that sound reasonable, okay? Now, that word deceive here is paralogimizo. I really practiced this. And I blew it. I couldn't. I'm looking at it and I can't remember. Perlogizomai. Perlogizomai. I think that's it. All right. And that word in the Greek, to deceive, means to delude, right? To beguile, to fool. 
Some of those are words that we don't normally use anymore. To delude. It's not dilute, which is to weaken, right? It's to literally trick you, fool you, delude you, make you feel like when people say someone's delusional, right? Right? When they're kind of losing their mind, all right? These things are trying to twist the word of God and the truth. So these worldly arguments that he's talking about, they will mislead or dilute us or cause us to have delusions of a clear and simple message of Jesus. And he's warning us about that. There's a great pastor out there that uh, wrote in his new devotional book that I was studying, and he says, the book of Colossians is a fighting book. It's a book about wrestling against these things, right? He says, and Paul is telling us to fight against syncretism, which is another big word. Syncretism is a word we use a lot, but it says it's when we combine so-called cool stuff from other religions, right? Oh, a little bit of this, a little bit of American, you know, American life, culture, a little bit of, you know, yoga, a little bit of, you know, Eastern mysticism here. That sounds really good, you know. All these things, right, that are trying to come in. Syncretism. When other, cool stuff from other religions tries to come in. And he, it says Paul was fighting against this because the believers are trying to get two things synced with Christianity or, or, or kind of joined together. Jewish ritualism, right, that we've heard and we've seen it. If you study the New Testament at all, you know. There's a lot of Jew Jewish folks that were saying, great, we love Jesus, but we also want to bring in and drag in the old law too. And, and, and then there's also this now in Greek world, they're dealing with Eastern mysticism. And so I know uh, Pastor Chuck's going to go deeper into this in, in a week or so, but uh, it, it talks about the, not just the Jewish ritualism, but the Eastern mysticism was worship of angels, right? Starting to have all these fascinations about angelic beings and stuff. Now, we may not deal with Jewish ritualism or Eastern mysticism, or we sometimes do. But there are a lot of worldly influences that are trying to delude us or trick us now as the modern church. So let's get into this. So what are some things, think about this, what are some things that are reasonable sounding, but ultimately are very deceptive? Christian universalism, right, that all will eventually be saved through Jesus. They're saying Jesus is the Lord, but they're not holding on to what he warned them about, that one day he's going to separate the goat from the sheep, right? That he's going to, he has, and he's going to tell, unfortunately, with tears in his eyes, I bet, depart from me, I never knew you, right? They, they just think, oh, you know, Jesus, once he's, once he's revealed then, all will be saved. That's just not biblical. We got to be careful that we don't start to believe that, just because it sounds good. Accommodation, right? God doesn't require me to change just to believe, right? That's a real problem in the American church and in the Western culture. God doesn't really require me to change. He just loves me, right? So I just got to believe that. Sorry, but he warns you about walking in after him, denying ourselves. Financial abundance. This has been going on for a while, in the last hundred years or so. Unbalanced focus on wealth and worldly abundance, right? God wants to bless us, but he wants to bless our spirit more than anything else. He's got us covered when it comes on the other side of eternity. He'll get us covered with the streets of gold and all the, the mansion that he's going and preparing a room for us and all the cool stuff we get to do for eternity. But it's not hyper-focused on that in the Bible. In fact, Paul talks about how I'm, I'm, I've learned to be content with nothing and with a lot because it's not that anymore. I just care about knowing Jesus. I just care about following him. But there's this, this lie about financial abundance is God's, God's blessing is so important. Instead of God's character and God's nature, come on. We can't just walk away feeling good about ourselves all the time and never challenge our character and nature that has to align to his. It's just not truth. Unforgiveness, right? 
I mean, come on, it's, it's, never getting, it's getting harder and harder to not walk in unforgiveness. Because you see the atrocities. You see the war in Ukraine, right? You see the, the, the shooting last you know, week. You see all these atrocities and, and what's happened. And what, here's the temptation is, well, what they did is unforgivable. That's just not the Bible. I know it's hard. <laughs> I've challenged myself on that. Like, oh, I don't want to forgive them, Lord. You got to forgive them. You got to. That's the Bible. <laughs> and so there's lies that come in. Don't you see how they sound reasonable, right? The part in us that says, well, you know, that, that is unforgivable. That is an atrocity that should not. Well, you know what? The real enemy is the devil that pushes people into those mindsets and pushes cultures into that evil. And we can't resort to hating and saying it's never going to be forgivable. Only God has the right to say that. It's just true. We got to remember, we're not Jesus. He's Jesus, and he's the one that's the judge. We're not the judge. All right, self-determination, right? It's my life. God understands that. He created me the way I am. It's my life. I can do whatever I want with it, and he's cool. It sounds obvious, but people, people say that subtly. They might not say it out, outright, but that's really what's going on. Self-determination. God blesses those who bless themselves, right? That's a lie. Nothing in the Bible about that. No. In fact, it warns, I think it was in the Old Testament, where it says everyone did what, they, what seemed right in their own eyes. That didn't go well. That did not go well for Judah, the, the kingdom of Judah, <laughs> and, uh, and for Israel. It did not. Okay. And then the lie of tolerance. To truly love people, we need to embrace every lifestyle. Now listen, let's make sure we don't walk in unforgiveness here. But I'm saying this. We are to love and embrace people from every walk of life, no matter how they live their lives. Because Jesus received them, but he spoke truth and love, and he did not embrace every lifestyle. Because that is an excuse to live in sin and claim it as okay with God. And Jesus wouldn't do that. He loves everyone on this planet, no matter how dark they are, but he has a clear standard. He has a clear way of living. He says narrow is the gate. Narrow is the path. And so we cannot allow ourselves to think, if I love that person, I'm going to fully embrace what they're doing. doesn't mean you attack them. It doesn't mean you, you, don't, you cut them off of your life. But you pray hard for them. Pray for moments to, to, to get in there with truth, to pray for them, to notice a need in their life and meet it, right? Soften them up. <laughs> it's like a piece of chicken that's really tough, right? And they take people pound it. Soften that meat up, okay? I don't know where I got that. That was not in my notes. But you want to soften people up a little bit. I had people, when I worked at an agency, I had a lot of lost people I worked around. Very vulgar people. And God, I'm like, what do I do? I'm like living in Babylon. <laughs> and God says, walk in love. And it's soft in their heart over time, just knowing that I'm there, being myself. If I heard a need, I'd say, Can I, I'll pray about that for you. What? You know? And I wouldn't, you know, just, I wouldn't participate in the stuff that they were doing and saying, but I wasn't going to, also be like the jerk Christian over here that they can't tolerate because I'm so full of myself. Because I'm saying, you're just so wrong. No. That's not, that's not the way to live. But we also can't tolerate just anything because that's not the Bible. In fact, all of these ideas we talked about, they sound reasonable, but in fact are dangerously wrong according to the Bible. The Bible's clear on that. Now, let's just jump to verse 5. He says, for I may be absent in my body. There's a key observation that he says next here. So think about Paul. He's also observing the Colossians like we did in the beginning. He says, I may be absent in my body, but I'm with you in spirit. 
rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So Paul is kind of doing this, you know, alternating between one thing to the other, one thought to the next. And he says, he comes back again to commending the Colossians. Like when we first read the book of Colossians, when I, when I preached the first time, we talked about the, the, you know, faith, hope, and love. And he was commending them and their faith in Jesus, their love for others, right, and their hope in Christ and eternity, right? So he's, he's rejoicing with them and saying, man, you guys are nailing it. You guys are hitting the mark on some of these areas, and I'm so proud of you, right? What does well-ordered mean? It's a military term that means an army that's solidly united against the enemy, right? It's not an army that's fighting itself. It's not people that are back and forth. You know, some, some are, you know, annoyed with the others. No, they're united. They're well-ordered in Christ. That's what it means there. And order describes the arrangement of, like, an army in ranks, Right? So they're, they know their place. They're, they're doing the thing as a church that they need to be doing. They need to serve. You know, they're serving in the areas that the church needs help. Right? That's a well-ordered and, and, and a church. Right? A body of Christ. And he, again, he commends them on their strength in their faith in Jesus. By the way, I studied this section. Um, uh, as I studied this, I learned that Paul used what they call a poetic style of writing, which was, uh, used to be common a little bit. Not poetic in the way that we think poetic, like rhyme. Like the words, you know, all kind of sound the same. But in the sense of uh, not completely staying with one linear thought the whole way through. He's bouncing around, right? So he, struggled, he highlighted in the beginning of this passage how he struggles for them, right? Because he cares. Then he jumps to commending them. He's talking about the, the supremacy of Christ, which is the core theology he wants to share. And then he's giving them instructions how to live it out. So he's bouncing around because I think that maybe that was just a way that they would retrain the information, right? The whole, the whole way through. He slowly expounds on each one of those things as he goes through the book. So that's why we kind of keep seeing things come back around because he's, he's kind of alternating between thoughts. It's a poetic style. Now, as soon as he says that about them and says how well-ordered you are, he jumps back again to key instructions. So in verse 6, he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. So real quick, we'll go through these one by one. Continue to walk in him. So he's challenging them. You've heard a lot of good truth. You've had some sound teaching. Now walk in it. Continue. And that's, again, a truth we need to recognize that I could be walking with God for a while, but if I start to let myself become deceived, if I let myself become distracted, if I get started focusing on my own thing, I could stop walking, right? Whoever's walked a long way, and sometimes you're like, uh, am I going to turn back because I'm done with this hike? <laughs> Start a marathon, and you're like, what? I don't know. I didn't plan on this. I'm dying. I'm ty- you know, I'm, I'm, I'm falling apart here. <laughs> and you, you have the guts to keep pushing. And so that, that is a possibility. So he's saying continue to walk in him. It's possible to lose it. And, and how? He says, being rooted and built up in him. So in our faith, we can't just start to kind of start with Christ and then put on, you know, like good philosophy and good disciplines and stuff that we find on TED Talks and YouTube, okay? It has to stay rooted in Christ. We have to really know what Jesus said. We have to stay in the Gospels. Enough to know him deeply and, and remember, this is what he says and this is how he lives. Being rooted up and built up in him. Established in the faith, Right? Again, the same visual of just being locked in, really solid in Christ. Just as you were taught, so he's talking about how he knows Epaphras taught them well and, and, and the, the gospel that was being shared. 
And this is a really powerful one. Overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. What does overflow mean? The passage here suggests the picture of a river overflowing its banks. Right? So in our lives, people should see gratitude if we're really walking in Christ. Now we have like, you know, we have tough times, right? We have disappointments. We have hard seasons and sometimes major ones. But Overall, is our life showing gratitude to God, thankfulness for what we have, right? That's where, do you see where I'm getting at, how things can be reasonable, but we're really, like, mad that the world isn't the way we want it to be, that our government isn't doing what we want, Lord, that our career hasn't gone the way we want it, that our families, we're, we're having dealing with issues, and we're not walking in gratitude anymore because all our, our focus has got, turned to what's around us instead of who we said we were going to follow for the rest of our lives. And so we, this is the example he wants them to live. Live overflowing with gratitude. Now this is a guy, again, who's in prison, who knows he may die soon. And yet he's saying, I want you to be overflowing with gratitude for this grace. And they're all living in some sort of persecution, and yet he's saying, I want you overflowing in gratitude. Let me ask you this question. What kind of teaching leads us to gratitude? Because you're going to hear a lot of teaching, a lot of great messages, messages you can find online. And the messages that are faith in Jesus Christ and not your circumstances, those are going to give you true gratitude. They have nothing to do with how blessed you are physically, emotionally, wealth-wise, none of it. It's faith in Jesus. That gives you true gratitude. Because if you're living in Ukraine right now and you don't have all those things and you're fleeing your, for your life, do you still have gratitude because your faith is in Jesus, not in those things? Right? If America turned upside down, would we still have gratitude? What kind of teaching are you following? Is it in Jesus or just your circumstances going well? Or what teaching do we listen to that does not encourage gratitude? Right? Hard messages that are preaching striving to be accepted by God. Preach an angry God at you. That's not God. He's a God of, yes, he's a God of justice. And he's, there is wrath there. But he satisfied the wrath in the, in the cross. His wrath was satisfied in the cross because he made things right and we stand in him. And right now is this dispensation of grace, right? This time that he is pouring because he loved the world so much he sent his only son to die on the cross so that we would not perish but have everlasting life, right? That's where we're at. So there's, there's that, that teaching that doesn't help you, right? To think that God's angry with you because of your struggles and your sin doesn't solve the problem. Now, we don't not talk about it. We don't not challenge ourselves to grow and encourage us, but we don't, we don't have that kind of teaching as our core heart because that's not the faith in Christ of what he did and finished on the cross. Fearful focus on the end times. I'm not saying we don't talk about the end times, but make sure you're not just following teaching that's making you afraid, making you wound up, making you stirred up in an unhealthy way that does not leave you with gratitude in Jesus Christ. Because that is a, a major, sounds reasonable kind of lie that is infecting us. We've got to guard our hearts from being fearful or angry and bitter because of the end times we're living in. I hope that didn't ruffle someone up too much, but I also want to share my, my truthful love with you. Okay, now Paul continues in his instructions. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. In other words, be careful not to get sucked into allowing all these thoughts from culture and philosophies and ways of thinking in your life that are not reliant on your relationship with Jesus and obedience to him. 
in the context of his letter, Paul's addressing the two things we talked about, where he's dealing with an extreme level of abstinence, right, from the Jews, that wasn't actually helping them change their lives and be more holy. In fact, when we get into it later, it talks about in chapters 2, verses 22, 23, it says, you know, don't worry about these things that say don't handle, don't touch. The severe elements of the body, right? Severe treatment, of, severe treatment of the body. Because he said these are pointless regulations, pointless rituals. But that doesn't mean we're to live however we want. Paul later challenges them to do exactly, um, to do actually what will cause them to grow in Christ. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Get this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And here's where he gets to the point. So I'm not, I'm not giving excuse here. He says, therefore, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, love of money, which is idolatry. So it's not that he skirts those things, but he's also saying don't waste your time on all the external looking stuff. Right? That's what the Jewish ritualism was doing. And then on the other hand, Paul is warning the believers against these Eastern mystical beliefs in the worship of angels and visions because it inflated their thinking and with made-up revelations and got them off on tangents instead of keeping them on the core truth of following Jesus and living like Jesus. Paul expands that later in, in, in Colossians 2, verses 18 through 19, and we don't have time to read that today. But he starts to warn about those things that were trying to infiltrate the church and look like new, wow, cool revelation. We need to be on guard, guys, from a hyper-charismatic movement that begins to focus too much on visions and new revelations from God that are not clear in Scripture. It's okay. The Holy Spirit's really cool and does amazing things. But we've got to guard ourselves not getting there because that's basically what's happening. They're starting to say, yeah, that was amazing. God's good. And then, yeah, did you hear about this revelation I had about this angel and, and how we're, it, no, it wasn't in Scripture. It's not Jesus-focused. Sorry. I remember following a ministry a long time ago that at first seemed very sincere and powerful, especially in their spontaneous worship, which, you know, tugs at my heart. But one day, the pa my pastor at the time, uh, a long time ago in Florida, he said, he showed me a video of one of the start of their conferences. And the conference started with a Native American Christian who was dressed in white as a na white Native American outfit, and he proceeded to do a Native American dance to worship God. He said, worship Jesus. And when he was done, the main speaker of the event declares this, I'm not kidding, that this was the year of the white buffalo. So they claim Jesus was the white buffalo. As if he's answering the Native Americans' religion of their Savior. Again, you could see where maybe their heart wasn't, you know, maybe in the right place, but you've gone too far, guys. It's not to disparage Native American beliefs. It's to say, that is not the gospel. Jesus has never declared the white buffalo. Okay? <laughs> so, again, this is how this stuff can happen. So we have to be the discerning ones to say, Holy Spirit, whoa, that maybe is too far. This truth, is this what your word says? Is this what Jesus can, I mean, there should be a pretty close relationship to what you hear in the gospel, to some new truth, right? And, and usually the, whole, true, the true stuff, the revelations, they really harken back, back to the truth. Not putting a new spin on it that you've never heard in scripture. I also want to caution us not to be, to be careful, not to believe, this is something I've heard in funerals, that once a family member dies or a child passes away, that they become an angel. 
I mean, again, it's sweet, it's sentimental, right? You see movies on it, but that's not the Bible. We are not angels. We are created in the image of God. We are his sons and daughters with a purpose for eternity that's different than the angels. So it's just simply not biblical to believe that. Again, it's sentiment and stuff, but you know what? No, we're saints. We are believers in Christ. Okay, so now Paul switches back and he goes to a key truth, but I want to call it the key point as we sum this up. Paul repeats his central truth about Jesus today. In this, in verse 9, it says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So he's trying to sum it up like what he did in Colossians 1 where he really expounded on Jesus and how he's the supreme being of all. But he's coming back and saying the entire fullness of his character, his nature, dwells in bodily form, in Jesus. And you have been filled by him. Meaning we've been given new creation status here, guys. Remember that? The Bible says you are now, if you die with Christ, when you, when you come up out of that water, even though that's just symbolic, when you really die to yourself and come alive, you are a new creation in Christ. So we're filled by that nature of him that we can access. And, and we can become the, his nature that we can become. In summary, Paul's saying, trust me, guys. What you need to understand is that Jesus provides everything you need. That's what he's trying to say to the to Colossians and us. Guys, trust me here. Because there's this thought of like, well, what are we missing? What, is there more? His power, Jesus' power, his example, his purpose, the way he lived his life, and his teaching, those are what we need. Not the pointless stuff, not the other stuff. Following this way of living is the only way that truly works, guys. And I love this statement. You won't find a better leader, and you won't find a better offer. Because if you start to do anything off of Christ, then you've got to put something together to appease God, and that's just not going to happen. But when you do it in Christ, he's done the work of appeasing and satisfying the, the requirement of our, our sinful nature and becoming righteous in him. So that's the best offer you're going to get. <laughs> so stay in Christ. Because we've been saved, let me say this clearly, we have been saved completely. There's no, no thing we need outside of Christ. We have been saved completely. So now we need to become aware of that truth and start to live it and exemplify it so that we don't turn away from it later because we're deceived. So we are filled in him, it says. What we, will always, what we always need the most is a clear vision of Jesus. It's to look at Jesus and his nature and embody in ourselves. We must follow and obey Jesus' instructions as well. It's not just cool to say, well, he's a great guy, he's a great teacher, I love him, he's good, he's such a nice guy. But we don't embrace his teaching. We have to listen to his teaching and live it. We must follow and obey Jesus' instructions. Right? People came to Jesus, the rich young ruler, he believed in Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, cool. You know, he knows his heart, but he's saying, let me, let me get to the point. Go sell everything you have and come and follow me. And I don't think he did it, you know, with an attitude or with malice. He just says, I know what's really going on here. What's going to hold you up? And that's when the guy walked away. So we can walk up to Jesus but not be changed because we're not willing to do what he asks. So in Luke 9, verses 23, this is what Jesus said. That, again, he's drawing crowds like crazy, but he's starting to say some pretty hardcore stuff. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, he, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now think about that. He hadn't gone on the cross yet. So they're going, this is offensive. 
You're talking about, I need to pick up this Roman cross and follow you every day? What? He hadn't gone to the cross yet. And yet he says, whoever comes after me has to pick up his cross daily and follow me. Sacrifice himself. Self-denial. Having a heart of being transformed is your focus. They're central to remaining strong in Jesus Christ, everyone. I love this quote from Dave Wilkerson. It's not enough just to come to the cross. You have to go through the cross, right? You have to go through it. You have to die on the cross with him. You have to pick up your cross daily. I have to pick up my cross daily. Like Paul says, I died with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. I live now only through Christ. The gospel is not just forgiveness, but it's transformation into holiness. He actually purchased us for a reason. He redeemed us for a reason so that we can look and become what God paid for. His nature. Romans 6, 23, I'm going to close with this. Romans 6, 10 through 13 says this. For the death, he's talking about Jesus, Paul's talking about Jesus. He goes, for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its desires. Again, do not, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, think about that. We have been brought back to life from spiritual death. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. James, could you come up and play a little bit? So, again, Jesus loves to offer us life, but his way, because he's the key. And as unique as he is, that's what's beautiful about Jesus. It's not just a truth like another religion might present. He is the unique embodiment of the God that we want to know. He is, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? That's what Jesus said. He's that unique tool, the key. And so we, we start with him, and now Paul's challenging all of us to continue with him, to live in Christ. We have to compare our thoughts, our goals, our motives to our actual faith in Jesus. Every day we have to start to say, Lord, am I getting pulled, am I being deceived a little bit? Am I getting pulled into caring more about my job promotion? Am I caring more about the state of America? Am I caring more about what's going on for me and my, my future and my family than I am about you? We have to compare ourselves to those things all the time. Paul is bringing up to believers that knew and sacrificed probably more than we could understand. And yet he's saying, continue to walk in him, guys. Don't be deceived. Don't be pulled away to our actual, listen, our daily faith in him has to mature. It has to be where, yep, that didn't go well, but I'm okay. I'm at peace. Jesus has me. The world isn't going the way, you know, I thought it would. I just lost my job. I'm feeling persecution. But we have to mature. I'm challenging myself every day. I got to mature. I can't think I'm the be-all, end-all here. I've got to change. We've got to change. Again, in summary, Paul is saying this. Trust me, what you need to understand is that Jesus provides everything you need. 
That's what Paul was saying to us. And the word of God tells us over and over how much Jesus is everything we need. Again, not just a solution to sin. He provided a way by being our savior, but he's also our brother in Christ. He's also our husband. We're the body of Christ. We're the bride, right? Isn't that interesting how Jesus has all these different roles? It wasn't just one role. He's our savior. He says, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. Or my servants, I call you friends. So he's our friend. He's our brother in Christ because we all have the same father, God the Father, right? He's our husband. We're his bride. Isn't that cool? There's so many aspects to knowing Jesus. And it takes getting on our knees every day and spending time in prayer, asking Jesus to reveal himself over and over to us. It means us opening up the Gospels and reading what Jesus said and saying, Jesus, transform me into this person. Don't look, by the way, don't look at what his perfectness is and make you discouraged. God's not bringing this stuff out to make you feel terrible. He's saying, no, I just want to bring you up. It's like we start in school with a grade A, right, from a teacher. So the Bible says you have an A. My righteousness makes you a perfect A. Now learn. Learn to be like Jesus. Don't, you know, just say, okay, I, I, that's under the blood of God, the blood of Christ. I, I, I repent for that attitude, and I'm picking up, and I'm going farther and stronger. And I'm not going to let the enemy take me out. Following Jesus and doing it his way is the only way that truly works. It really is. So whatever areas we struggle with, we need to learn, instead of trying to figure out the next solution or going on YouTube or watching some other thing, first go to Jesus and say, Lord, where am I missing it here? Where am I going wrong here? How can I change? How can I grow? Reading his word. Oh, wait, he calls me to be humble. He calls me to, to, to trust him. He says he's got all the, the you know, the, the birds taken care of and the flowers taken care of. So he's got me. That's the stuff that will encourage you out of whatever's not him. Those truths that he shares. So I want to say Jesus is the key to all the aspects of our life. He really is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross to set us free and to be our example. Thank you, Jesus. You're the reflection of God's glory. You're interceding on our behalf. It says you go and prepare a place for us. Thank you, Jesus. There's so much that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that we would learn to receive your word, that we would learn to let it transform us, that, we, that we'd stay close to you. We would continue to walk after you, Jesus. May we learn to discern the things that are not of you and, and do away with them and, and cast them aside. Forgive us, Lord, for not searching and, and knocking and asking and going deeper, some of us, in our walk. We Hearken us, Holy Spirit, back to Jesus and the Father so that we can finish this well, that we can walk in maturity. We can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. You are the author and the perfecter. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. And I pray for everyone here that, that may have some areas, Lord, that they, there would be no condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But Lord, that we could simply take an awareness, look at ourselves, a clear look, and see what lines up to you, Jesus, and what doesn't. And we would just do the work of spending time with you of obeying your word and following you, Lord. 
Jesus. I come against the enemy and the lies he puts in our hearts and in the church that gets us off of true love, surrender, and humility. Help us to walk in that in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you so much for your word that always points out the truth in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for hearing me out. I know I went a little long, but I just pray that, that Jesus being the key of your life will, will really mean something visually to it and in your heart because we want to stick with it. We don't want to fall. So thank you guys for coming. Have a great week.